Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we come now to our time of study, time of interacting with Your Word, hearing from You, having our lives challenged, our sinfulness exposed, Your grace and mercy lavished upon us, the truth of the gospel ever before us so that your name would be high and lifted up in our hearts and our minds and in how we live. May this time honor your name. May it be one in which we sense a duty and a responsibility before you as your children and a desire that in everything we do and everything we say and everything we think, your name would be glorified and the gospel of Jesus Christ would be reflected through it. All because of our Savior, in whose name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll ask you this morning to take your Bibles and turn in them to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, we are once again focusing our attention on just the first 12 verses, and I say that in some ways tongue-in-cheek because, as you well know, we, we are not going to get anywhere near even verse 2. I don't want that to frighten you. That doesn't mean we're going to be here for the next 15 weeks. We're not going to be here for that long. I think we'll spend one more week in this text and then return back to Luke. But we are literally inching our way, if you will, so that we can ensure that we understand fully the intent on the heart of the Apostle Paul as he writes on this crucial subject of Christian behavior. Christian behavior. For the Apostle Paul, I think I'm realizing afresh and anew the more I look at the epistles that Paul wrote and even the Gospels that are here from other authors and all of the Scriptures, that there's nothing more important than the Gospel. Obviously, it was on the heart and mind of our Heavenly Father who sent His Son in order to accomplish all that He had planned in eternity past to save the good news of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul desires that that be the the clearest message that is ever seen and ever heard. That it never be detracted from in any kind of way under the guise of the name Christian. It's crucial because the gospel of Jesus Christ is at stake. How we live as Christians. And I don't believe that we Christians recognize that enough. For if we sometimes, I think, don't even recognize it at all, even though we claim with boldness the gospel, 
And I say that simply because there are many Christians today who have relegated their Christian living to just one aspect of life rather than Christian living being the aspect of life. God and what He requires has become, I think to many, something to be negotiated into my own life rather than my life willingly submitting to what God has commanded and desired for His glory through my life in order that the gospel would be clear. This is a very important text for us to think through, especially in the days in which we hear all about all kinds of ways in which we ought to be living from any number of sources. I want to begin this morning just having this word resonate in our hearts. And so I want to begin by reading, beginning in verse 1. Just to remind us of what the Apostle Paul is saying. Now, accept the one who is weak in the faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let him, let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master, he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not, For the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But you... Why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put any stumbling block or any obstacle in a brother's way. You notice in verse 12 that the Apostle Paul reminds us of this crucial reality of life, even for the Christian. 
Each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. These are words to keep each of us in check as we live each day. These are not words in order to determine whether we are saved or not. That's not what Paul is talking about. He has talked about salvation in the previous chapters and how someone is saved. He surely delineates with clarity that we can do nothing to save ourselves. So Paul is not talking about God judging you as a Christian based upon the fact that you do certain things or do not do certain things. However, we all before the judgment seat of Christ will answer for how we live. How our life reflects the very reality of our Christianity, the gospel. The gospel. So these words that Paul is using are there for us to to hem us in, to keep us in check, to cause us to live with a reverence for God. Because we are so quick, even as Christians, and maybe even especially as Christians, we are so quick to make judgments about others based either upon what we are doing or what they are doing. Remember from our time last Lord's Day as we were here that this entire subject of Christian conduct is the focus in the heart and mind of Paul. Why? Because Christian conduct has an effect upon the gospel. It has an effect upon the gospel. In fact, in our study of Galatians in our evening times together, the Apostle Paul is so concerned about the the reference to the gospel in light of how we're living, that he rebukes the apostle Peter to his face in front of everyone because Peter stood condemned. Those are the words Paul uses. Why? Because Peter was living his life in such a way that detracted from the truth of the gospel to others. Christian conduct has an effect upon the gospel. In fact, in the previous chapter here in Romans, chapter 13, there's a great exhortation about our general practices in life. For example, Paul says in the first seven verses of chapter 13, he talks about our relationship with the governing authorities. And how we are to to live in light of the governing powers. How we are to live as good citizens in light of what? The imminent return of Jesus Christ. In other words, we live that way with with the mindset that Christ could return at any time. And all of Romans 14 verse 12, we will give an account for how we are living. Christ is returning. Paul speaks about the Christian's ultimate motivation for willing submission 
to the authorities God has placed because at any moment Christ is returning and each one of us will give an answer. And then when we get to chapter 14, we are confronted with a a completely new challenge to our Christianity. A complete new challenge to that seems like it wouldn't be higher than or more difficult than the challenge for us to to submit ourselves to a godless government. But this is a new challenge for us, a new avenue, if you will, for potential trouble to come in and undermine the gospel through our Christian behavior as it pertains to activities and decisions that God has not given direct command or direct prohibition. Willing submission to to governing authorities, that's clear. That's a clear command of God. It isn't a universal submission. It isn't that whatever the governing authorities say, if they go against the things that are clearly spoken by God in His Word, clear commands of God, we clearly go with Acts what Peter said in Acts, we must obey God rather than men. We can still be submissive and yet at the same time understand that in our disobedience, because we must obey God rather than men, there will be potentially by God's design and His sovereign hand, because He raised up rulers, there may be consequences for that, but we can still have a submissive attitude even though we will face consequences. But Paul is now looking at things within the Christian life, decisions and activities, for which the Bible gives no direct command. No direct command to obey, no direct prohibition to not do it. In other words, there, these are things in which there is no black and white answer given in Scripture. In the past, we've labeled them as gray areas. I've thought about that, and I've thought about that title, uh, gray areas. I think that that title may be somewhat misleading. Why? Because it, it seems to imply that when it comes to the Scripture's direction, when it comes to what the Scriptures speak about these kinds of decisions, that the information that we have from Scripture is somewhat gray. That it's fuzzy. In other words, if the Scriptures somehow are just not clear. And and we must be careful not to think that way. Because the Bible is clear as to how we are to deal with these kinds of decisions. The Bible is very clear about that, even though the specifics of the certain decisions are not commanded. In fact... Even with these decisions, the Bible is very clear on how we are to live. It is very clear on how we are to live even within those decisions. And the emphasis that Paul is dealing with here is not the action of those decisions. He's not dealing with what you do in those decisions per se, but rather he is dealing with our attitude as Christian believers in response to others as we make personal decisions in these areas. 
In other words, our attitude toward others who are doing or not doing things that are not specifically commanded or prohibited by Scriptures is what's on the mind of Paul. Because how we treat each other will have an effect upon the gospel and its testimony to those around us. This is the issue. So we clearly understand that if something is explicitly prohibited and commanded in Scripture, it's clear, right? We don't even really necessarily have to discuss that. We just open the Bible and say, well, here's what the Bible says. You shall not murder. It's it's clear. It's clear. We understand those things must be followed. We must do that. Everyone must be in the same lock and step. Everyone must be doing exactly what the Bible commands and what is clear in Scripture in those senses. If it's a clear commandment, then we must do it or we must not do it if it's prohibited. But there are all kinds of things throughout our Christian lives for which there is no command from the Scriptures, positive or negative. And some of those today are before our very lives in acute ways in the evangelical church. Very often, today we deal with issues like schooling, how you school your children. That over the years has become a major issue in the evangelical church. Some decide to homeschool, others decide for public school, some decide a conglomerate of that and a mix of that. And we begin to view one another through the lens of that as to the spiritual condition of one another, and it makes major problems. Some think essential oils are the big deal. If you use them, you're doing the right thing. If you don't use them, well, that's the wrong thing. That, of course, the big elephant in the room is vaccines, isn't it? It's vaccines. Whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated. What kind of health decisions you're making. And very often, because these areas of conscience are elevated to direct dictates, to direct statements... In our own minds, we have, we have settled them out. They are a direction. Because of that, they can lead to big problems, big troubles in the church. Especially if we have the attitude that Paul tells us not to have. This certainly was the case in the Corinthian church. As we studied through 1 Corinthians some time ago, it was the problem they had how their attitude was in the things they were doing oftentimes as they viewed one another. And this is the case in the church here. It says in verse 13, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore. That's what they were doing. Paul wouldn't have put the word anymore there if it wasn't a problem. It would have just been, hey, think about this next time. But he says, anymore. So it was happening. It was going on. 
That's why Paul's having to address this issue. It's an important subject for us to think through, if not for the simple fact that we have, that the, our behavior can have devastating effects on the body of Christ if we get it wrong individually. So how does this principle get explained here in these verses? How does it get explained? Well, I'm sure you remember last time that Paul addresses just two groups of people who are within the church. Two groups of people. And we might even say, and rightly come to this determination, that it's really just one group of people exercising themselves in two different ways. So it isn't two separate groups of people. It's one group that quickly vacillates between two spiritual conditions. In other words, at any given moment of time within the life of the church, there are those who are weak in the faith and there are those who are strong in the faith. Remember, he's not talking about whether someone's a Christian or not. That's not what he's dealing with. When he says strong in the faith or weak in the faith, it isn't as if the weak in the faith are not saved, the strong in the faith are, and so we're trying to work that out. That's not what he's talking about. They're both Christians. Both conditions are of those who are saved people. And so Paul is talking to true Christians who either exercise at any given moment, at any given moment, and sometimes within the moment, At any given time, a strong understanding of what salvation means in practical living, all that the gospel means and entails for us in our life in Christ and reflected in our life in Christ in the moment, and sometimes we are exercising a weak understanding of that in our life in the moment. So Paul's desire is for us to get it right. And individual Christians might exercise a strong in-the-faith attitude in some ways and at some points and in some times as they live out their life in practical living and sometimes we exercise a weak-in-the-faith attitude. I say all that just simply to remind us of what Paul is truly addressing. Not to get confused. We, how we live out our salvation, how we live out the gospel, what we do in our lives and what we think of others as we do those things in our lives will either reflect upon or deflect from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is an important truth that we have to remember as we begin. Our actions do not, and our actions cannot determine whether we are saved or not. We understand that. We all understand that, correct? Our actions do not and cannot determine whether we are saved. That is a declaration by God Himself based upon the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ alone that is exercised from us by the gift of faith which God grants to us. 
That determines our salvation. It is God alone who justifies. But our actions as Christians can reflect or deflect upon or away from the saving gospel of Jesus Christ to others. So as we begin this morning, we must recognize that within Christendom, there are spiritual differences between true believers at any given moment. Some are exercising a strong understanding within the moment of their salvation, and some are exercising a weak understanding, and that is where the trouble begins to creep in. Because we forget that. We forget it mostly about ourselves. We forget it. And so here in verse 1 of chapter 14, the general principle for dealing with this is given to us by the Apostle Paul. So that you and I as Christians don't have an attitude within and about our own actions as if we are God in the lives of other Christian believers. So that we don't assume the place of being God in the lives of others. Why? For the sake of the clarity of the gospel. Paul says in verse 1, Now accept the one who is weak in the faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. We have a personal duty. This is the principle. We have a personal duty as Christians to other Christians. We have a duty to one another as Christians for the sake of the gospel. We have a duty, a responsibility to live as we ought to live attitudinally for the sake of of the gospel. It doesn't matter which category we may actually be in at any given time. And I say most of the time we all evaluate our view from the reality that our view is us living out the strong category. That's where we consider ourselves to be. We are strong. It doesn't matter which one we are actually in. We all have the propensity to always assume that we are strong in the faith. And I believe that's why the Apostle Paul starts here with that. Because he says, except the one who is weak in the faith. Because as Christians, we always assume that we are strong in the faith. You say, always? Yes, always. Always. Because the moment that we begin to judge another, the moment we begin to say, my way is, I'm the godly person because I do, fill in the blank. The moment we do that in our heart, In our heart. No one sees it. You know it. The moment we do that in our heart, guess what we have just done? We have just now shown in our heart we're actually the weak in the faith. 
one. What often happens in our own hearts when dealing with these areas of life in which there is no direct command from Scripture, of course, the elephant in the room in our day is vaccines. That's the big issue right now going on in our society, and it has entered into the Christian church, and it's wreaking havoc. If someone isn't behaving like my decision in that area... And I tend to assume the real problem is them. Their weak conscience. Maybe it's their lack of information. And if they would just mature up, if, if they would just come up to where I am, then we wouldn't have this problem. And so Paul begins to deal with this issue from the standpoint of the stronger in the faith position. That doesn't mean that when we are truly weak in the faith, judging others, that we actually fit in the stronger in the faith category, that we shouldn't do it, that we ought not grow if we are actually weak in the faith. That doesn't mean we shouldn't grow. We all should be striving to grow. But even with the right attitude, we need to grow. The fact that someone else may actually be weaker in their understanding of the implications of salvation and practical living ought to have no bearing upon my relationship to them. Let me say that again. The fact that someone may actually be weaker in their understanding of the implications of salvation and how that's being lived out in their life ought to have zero impact on my relationship with them. Why? Because we're all of the same family. We are clearly commanded, clearly commanded in Scripture to interact with one another. And therefore, we must interact with one another and deal with each other's weaknesses with the right attitude. Or, there will be continual trouble in the church. And when there's continual trouble in the church, the gospel is hindered. Have you ever heard one of your unchristian friends say, I don't want to go to a church. They're always having so much trouble amongst themselves. Ever anybody say that? I mean, I've heard people say this cheeky line, I, I'm not going to go to a church, it's just full of a bunch of what? Hypocrites. Why would they say that? Why would they say that? Well, they say that because it's true. <laughs> it's true. Far too often we're hypocritical. I just like to say to people, well, come on, one more is not going to matter. <laughs> More is not going to matter. This was one of the problems within the church in Corinth. They were divided as a church into the weaker and stronger. Not by actuality, but by the attitudinal view they had of one another. 
Some who considered that they were strong in their understanding of their practice of salvation had become prideful. And so they were dealing with others, at least according to their, their estimation of themselves, they were dealing with others as if they had a strong understanding of their things, and they didn't want to waste their time with those who didn't have the understanding they had. There was a self-imposed segregation that was happening over issues, practices in life for which the Bible gives no direct command or prohibition. Strong only wanted to be with the strong. Meaning, I'm only going to be with people who think like I think. I'm only going to be with people who, who actually live out those kinds of things that have no direct command or prohibition in Scripture the way I live out my things. I'm only going to hang out with homeschoolers. Because you people who send your kids to public school, well, you know, you're, you're just not thinking it through. I'm only going to hang out with those who make medical decisions like I make them. Because after all, you just haven't got all the information. See, Paul begins with this issue for the Roman believers, and he says, that's not how we're to be. That's not how we're to be for the sake of the gospel. He says, notice verse 1, accept the one who is weak in the faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Now, Paul gives two sides of the principle here. And I want to deal with both of those sides. One side is positive. The other side is negative. Right? One side, he says, accept the one. And the other side, he says, but not for. That's the negative side. The one side is positive. The other side is negative. Let's look at the negative side first. The negative side first. Paul says to the strong in the faith, of which, let's remind ourselves, we all believe we are strong in the faith in the various activities that we carry out in our life. I'm doing the right thing. Let's just put it in that context. I'm doing the right thing. He says, verse 1, you who are strong in the faith, accept the one who's weak in the faith, but not, the you who are strong in the faith, don't accept, for not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Some of your translations may say, but not for the purpose of judging his doubtful thoughts. Some of your English translations use that. What is Paul talking about? Well, opinions or, or doubtful thoughts is simply this. It's the thinking that someone has within themselves about any given question or activity. That's what he's talking about. In other words, the thinking that goes on within yourselves through all of the information that you've taken in from whatever sources you've taken it in about whatever the situation is. He's not delineating which sources those are, whether those sources are shouldn't be taken in or not. He's just saying, listen, this is the way you've gone through the process in your mind to come to the place where you're making a decision. 
In other words, the term used here is a word that speaks to that process. The process that you and I go through inwardly by way of our thinking and our reasoning, how we go about it. In other words, how we go about thinking and reasoning and processing the information that we have in order to make a particular decision that isn't one commanded by Scripture, either positively or negatively. So this is not about clear commands in Scripture. That's simple. That's simple. Thou shalt not, or thou shalt. Those are, those are clear commands. That's not what we're talking about. It's not what's being dealt with. This is someone who goes through a process of inward thinking, of inward reasoning, in order to make their choice or choose their direction. We all do this. We all reason within ourselves. And so on a very practical level, very practical level, this is what we do when we are faced with a decision. Whether it's a mundane decision or whether it's a very difficult decision, we begin to deliberate with ourselves. We begin to deliberate in our own minds. We discuss the issue to ourselves. And what we are doing, we are distinguishing in our minds between the direction that we are going to take on whatever it is. Whatever the issue is. We're discussing that and our conscience is bearing a weight upon that choice. Our conscience is is speaking upon it. We are making determinations between whether it is good, whether it is better, whether it is best, whatever that means, and our consciences bear weight upon that. And we've gathered all the information, we've taken in all the resources that we that we are familiar with and we have looked to. And we ponder all that and we weigh all of that and our conscience bears upon that and we make a decision. This is the reason why it's so important to continually have your conscience informed by the truth of Scripture. Because it is objective. It is outside of you. It is outside of your feelings. It is outside of your emotions. It is outside of all of those things that sometimes we say, well, I just, it just felt right. I don't want to feel right. I, I want to be right. I want to do what is objectively right before God for the sake of the gospel. Sometimes that feels really wrong. Sometimes my, my flesh says, don't go there. That's going to be painful. Our conscience rings the bell on what it's been informed with. We need to inform it with the truth of Scripture. We don't want to sear our conscience with information contrary to biblical truth. It's like having your nerves no longer tell you when it's danger. It's like the danger of leprosy. You can't, it, leprosy ruins the nerves. It's like having your nerves in your hand gone from leprosy and you no longer can feel pain. So you put your hand on heat and it doesn't tell you it's hot. Your conscience can become dull, can become unreactive to bad things, to unhelpful things when it's seared or uninformed. 
So it's important to allow the Scripture to inform your conscience. Listen to it. Don't silence your conscience when it's screaming truth from the Word of God at you. And so when we read the word opinions here, or doubtful thoughts, we need to keep in mind that Paul is talking about the process by which we discern or make a judgment. So what, with that in our mind, with that understanding in our mind, what is Paul saying? What is he saying here? He's saying that we who are strong in the faith, remember that's all of us, we, we believe our decision's the one, and we're strong, we're doing everything, we're exercising our non-commanded behaviors in honor and glory to God, that's what we believe. And we may in fact be doing that. He says to them, you accept the weak in the faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on their process of discernment. Don't accept them so that now you can come into their life and, and, and judge how they got to their decision. It's very interesting, isn't it? This is where the trouble actually lies. Paul is drawing up a scenario, and the scenario being drawn up is this. Here's a weaker Christian. Here's an actually weaker Christian. They may believe they're in the strong position. We all do. They see themselves in that way, but maybe they're actually weak. You don't know that. They're just different than you are. They're working to think through some decision, some activity that's not commanded, that's not prohibited by Scripture. They're, they're working this through, and they're aware that there are others that, that they respect, others they know, other Christians around them. They're aware that they participate in that, or they, they do something they're not quite clear on yet. And they're trying to come to a judgment. They're trying to come to some assessment on it for themselves. And their mind, in their mind, they're wrestling with the details and the information they have. They're wrestling with it. They desire to do what's honoring to God. That's their desire. They want to do what's right. But they have doubts. They have cautions in both directions as they think through this, as they reason through it. There's cautions in their mind in, in both directions. And so they're, they're continually anxious, if you will, about whether it's going to be the best thing or the, or the better thing or the, the right thing. They're wondering that. Should I be doing this too? Others are doing this. Should I, be, should I, should I not be doing that? Others seem to be doing that. Is it right for me? Is it wrong for me? I've heard people ask me that question. Is it wrong if I do this? It comes a certain thing. Maybe they have a hypersensitive conscience on some activity. I don't know that. Maybe they're just uninformed, but I don't know that. All I know is they're trying to process it. They're trying to get through it, and they're anxious about it, Paul is saying to the strong in the faith, don't aggravate that condition. 
Don't aggravate that condition. Don't be a brother or sister who deliberately aggravates that struggle. Listen, it's easy for us to do, isn't it? It's easy for us to do that. It's easy for some strong in the faith person to come along in the exercise of their Christian choice, in the exercise of their decision, which they're clear at, to aggravate the struggle, to aggravate the choice of another brother and sister in Christ. It's easy for us to do that. And when we do that, what we are doing is showing that in actuality, we're not the strong in the faith, we're actually the weak in the faith. Why? Because we're judging another's decision on the issue that is not commanded in Scripture. You say, how so? How so? Well, one way is by continually raising the issue with them about how wrong they are. Ah, you see that all over the place today. All over the place and all kinds of issues when it comes to the pandemic and other issues within the church. How wrong you are. We seek to have discussions with them in an insensitive way. We want it. We, we seek out discussion in order that we might set them right. In other words, you know they made a different choice. Maybe a different medical choice. And instead of being sensitive to them in that way, you know what? You continue to, quote unquote, encourage them to get all the real facts. Get all the real facts. After all, my choice is the choice of the good Christian. What I've done is what all good Christians do. Paul says, don't do that. You know that some brother or sister has made a different choice than you? And don't go around challenging their process of thinking through it. So that every time they see you or desire to be with you, you know what they're wondering? They're wondering what might happen. They're wondering what might come up in order to aggravate their struggle. That's one way we do it. Another way that we do it is to try to continually beat them with our clear opinions about it. Oh, we're so clear. We've got it all figured out. We've got it all wired. We've, we've, we've looked at every detail. We know every contingency. We know every part of it. We've, we've researched it all. We know it all. We are clear on it. Our decision is the only right decision. That's the attitude we carry ourselves with. My decision is the only right decision. We have no issue with our exercise of it, and so we continually try to ensure that others who haven't made that same decision, just how wrong they are in their thinking about it. Paul says, don't do that. Trying to do that, in fact, only brings harm to them and deflects on the gospel. Now, I want to be clear before I get a question on it because I know 
what goes on in our hearts. It's gone on in my heart as I've thought through this. I'm not saying that these kinds of things should never be talked about amongst Christians. That's not what we're saying. Paul's not saying that because some people are weak, then then these issues should never be talked about among believers. That's not what Paul is saying. These issues, in fact, have to be talked about. We have to interact with one another on these kinds of issues, or we might miss some helpful things. But what Paul is teaching us here is the proper way in which we can bring help to it. The proper way we can bring help to it. And that has everything to do with our attitude in it. What we ought to be saying in these conversations that we have is not, gee, you got it all wrong, you needed this. We need to be saying, hey, have you ever thought about this? In all the information that you have on whatever the issue is, maybe add this to it and just let that filter in there as well. Might be helpful. And maybe we'll hear something like that too from somebody else about us. Hey, listen, have you ever thought about this? So when we're having a difficulty with another's exercise of a Christian choice, we don't want to go into the situation shaming them about their choice. Let's not go about trying to convince them of our rightness. To do that is to place ourselves at the place of judge over their process of discernment on the issue. We're passing judgment on their opinions. Now, there's a whole other extreme. There's a whole other extreme in this that we can tend to go to if we're not careful. Some of us, some of us have the tendency to just default to a position of, well, I just won't say anything then. I'll just, I'll just avoid the subject altogether. It's better to say nothing. And so what do we do is we treat uncommanded areas of Christian living as some kind of closet subject like people in the world treat politics and religion. You just don't want to talk about them because all that comes up is a fight. And so we do that sometimes in the church. I'm just not going to talk about it because it's just a trouble. Never talk about it. It's just too volatile. I don't want to upset anybody. That's what we say. You know what? That's just an excuse. Let's just be honest. That's just an excuse for us. I'll just avoid the subject altogether. It's just too upsetting. That's like saying, because people respond sinfully to something, we shouldn't talk about it anymore. That isn't helpful. That isn't helpful for anybody. If that was how we are to respond, that we are to just be quiet, then let's not share the gospel with anybody. Don't go around telling anybody about Jesus Christ, because guess what? I've seen a lot of people get upset by the gospel. Don't tell them about Jesus, because Jesus is just too confrontational. It's just going to upset the moment. They may not want to be around me anymore, and I don't want that. 
After all, here's a Christian saying, after all, I just want to keep the doors open. Let me tell us something this morning. We don't get the opportunity. We don't have the privilege to keep doors open. That's God's business. We're just seed spreaders. We're just seed spreaders. So we have to remember it isn't the subject that's the problem. The subject's not the problem. The way we address it is often the problem. The way we address it, I had a beloved professor in seminary that used to tell us often about these kinds of issues. Listen, when it comes to these kinds of issues, you can say to somebody, listen, you can do that, but I'm not going to do that. You can do that. I'm just not going to do that. What a refreshing statement that is. He understood this passage. So the negative side is we're not to accept them for for passing judgment. What's the positive side? The positive side is just that. Now accept the one who is weak in the faith. That's what the strong is to do with the one who is weak in the faith. We are to accept them. We are to receive them. Receive them. This, that, that word reception, it carries more the idea of how they are to be accepted, the attitude involved in our accepting, rather than what the acceptance looks like. Okay? Let's get that right. It's the attitude in our acceptance. The word has the idea of a welcoming, a truly welcoming spirit, not a grudging spirit. You say, what do you mean? I mean this. I mean this. You're, you're, when you're interacting with another brother or sister who is exercising a choice in a way that's different than you, We are not to have an attitude in our hearts that says, if you weren't so ignorant, you would do the right thing. We're not to have that attitude. Now, we may not say that, but very often, beloved, we're thinking that. It's an internal attitude that their immaturity about this subject is the real problem. Their immaturity is the problem. I I know I have to put up with it, but their choice is wrong and it really bothers me. That's what we're talking about. That's the attitude. Listen. It's not a problem of a truly strong Christian in the faith. It's a problem of a Christian who believes they are strong in the faith when they're not. That's the problem. Why? Because those who are truly strong in the faith do the opposite of that. The truly strong in the faith give the weaker Christian a true welcoming attitude that shows that they are actually okay with them, even though their choice is different. 
Notice, notice how it's stated by Paul. Notice how he states it, because Paul highlights acceptance in verse 3 by comparing it to another's acceptance. Let him who eats, let him, let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. Why? Because God has accepted him. You notice that? So the word translated accepted in verse 3 is the same word used in verse 1. Why is the one who eats not to regard with contempt, by the way, that's a good definition for passing judgment upon, which he says in verse 1, contempt. Why is the one who eats not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat? And why is the one who does not eat, why is he not to judge not? That's the same thing, contempt, judging him who does not. Why? Because God accepts him. Because God accepts him. Who do you think you are? That's what Paul's saying. Are you God? You must be. Because some lesser God accepts him, and if you don't accept him, you must be the higher God. God accepts him. In other words, the strong is to accept the weak in the same way that God has already accepted him. Which, by the way, is the same way that the strong person has already been accepted by God. In fact, this is how Paul sums up his entire argument over in chapter 15. Notice verse 7. Wherefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. So we must accept each other with the same welcoming spirit and love that our Lord has shown to all of us who are His Let's remember a few things as we kind of close our time down here. We'll get some more of this next time, but let's just close our time down. First thing is this. All of the issues that fall within uncommanded areas are not central issues that determine whether we are Christian or not. Let me say that again. All issues that fall within uncommanded areas are not central issues that determine whether we are Christian or not. We have to keep the main thing the main thing. Our salvation is determined and secured by Christ alone, not by a every good Christian does A, B, or C, or every real Christian does A, B, or C. Our salvation is not determined on whether we practice or do not practice certain things. We are to accept one another as Christ accepts us. So that's the first thing. Secondly, we need to all remember 
that all of us, that's universally inclusive of every Christian who has ever lived, and particularly every Christian within each local body, we are all to remember that all of us are still imperfect people, even on our most mature day. We err all the time. And what we may be informed about and what we may be informed by is not all of the information. So let us not be so quick to condemn others for things that we so easily allow for ourselves. Third, third, Remember that we're all in the process of growth. We are all in the process of growth. And that growth will never be complete, this side of glory. None of us have arrived. If you've arrived at full glorification, raise your hand this morning. None of us have. We're just not there. We're not there. We're still here. God hasn't translated us into glory yet. That day is coming, praise God, it's coming. But none of us have arrived. And so if, if we are a strong in the faith Christian, then we, we must not carry ourselves as if we have arrived. We cannot carry ourselves attitudinally as if we are there and that I no longer have to learn and I no longer have to grow. I've made it there. I've arrived. If you just come to my level, everything would be great. Listen, beloved, that's why God gave us the church so that we would be equipped. So we would be iron sharpening iron, shepherding one another, building up the body. What? Until we all attain to what? A unity of the faith. Unity of the faith. And then lastly, for... Remember, we're all part of the same family. We're all part of the same family. Let's not be like the world that just destroys the family at any given level, at any given time. Devouring our own. We're family members. We don't despise each other. We genuinely help one another. Genuinely. We're to care for one another. Our greatest concern should not be how we exercised our choice. That should be not our greatest concern. Our greatest concern should be the care for one another for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. That's the principle. That's the overarching principle. That's in the drive of the Apostle Paul's heart and mind everywhere Paul went. Not to act as if you in some way have been elevated to the place whereby you are now God in the lives of others. To do that is to to affect the gospel. You have now edited the truth of how God saves other people by your very behavior. Because now you're judging others by your choice. As if you are the right Christian. Paul says that's not how you are to live. 
That is not how we are to live. I'll just close with this. We're going to get to this next Sunday night in our study of Galatians, but I'll just read it to you. This is Paul's words to the apostle, to the believers in Galatia. When Cephas came to Antioch, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Why? Because he stood condemned. Really? Those are strong words, Paul. He stood condemned? Yeah, he was in the position by which he was under condemnation. Why? For prior to the coming of certain men from James, that is the half-brother of Jesus in Jerusalem, the leaders in Jerusalem, for prior to the coming of certain men from there, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and withhold himself aloof from them. Why? Fearing the party of the circumcision. Peter was saying, listen, I fear what somebody else might think of me if I do that. Peter says, you've adjusted the gospel. In fact, even worse than that, you have said that in doing that, as you used to live like that, that Christ was accepting you, and now you're calling their life sinful, so you're saying that Christ accepted sin. That was okay. Paul says, "I I had to oppose him. I had to stand against him because he was against the gospel. He was changing the gospel. And in fact, in verse 13, he says it was hypocrisy. Peter had come to the church in Antioch. The rest of the Jews joined in him in his hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Someone standing on the outside of that church would say, I don't want to go to that church. It's full of a bunch of hypocrites. And he'd be right. He'd be right. We don't want to be that. We don't want to be that. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for these people, these sweet, sweet sheep of yours. Lord, they love you, desire to live for you, honor you. We're so challenged, it seems, at times in our own hearts and minds on these things. And the challenge really is within us, not really outside of us. You're not surprised by any of this. You've given us your word all that we need for life and godliness. There's nothing there that is fuzzy. These principles are true and right. They help us live with one another as we ought. So that in us, as we live, as we live the gospel in our life in a practical way, it's clear to others that it's not us that justifies ourselves, but it's only Jesus Christ by faith in Him by which an individual can be justified through repentance of sin, through faith in Jesus Christ, and nothing of our own works. Oh, Father, help us to have the right attitude toward one another, so that in the ways in which we respond to these things that are not commanded in Scripture, not prohibited, not commanded either way, we would look to one another helping each other, 
yet not condescending to one another, not bitter, but receiving one another like you receive us. That your gospel would be clear and we'll rejoice together with you and long for that day that you will come and set all things right. We love you in the name of our son, Jesus Christ, or your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.